Why do we do what we do? Why do we come here? Because it's more than just coming here to get taught. It's more than just sitting down and opening up the Word. SWAT stands for something. It stands for spiritual warriors advancing truth. And this vision was born six years ago when I sat down with one guy and my two sons at a sandwich shop, and I just said, you know what? I want my boys to be warriors because I don't see them being trained to be warriors where they are. We started doing this, working through Scripture, but also having an accountability with one another. And so I sat down and and I have this mission statement that I want you guys each to know because I want you, if somebody asks you what SWAT is, I want you to be able to tell them. I want you to have an elevator speech in your mind that you could give a guy if you're riding up and he says, hey, you got a SWAT shirt on, what is this? And, and you don't have to worry about writing it down now, I'm going to email it to everybody. SWAT's mission is to encourage men, to encourage men who follow Christ to become the warriors that God's called us to be. The warriors He intends us to be. When I think of the disciples, they were spiritual warriors. They were men who, when they started following Jesus, they endured hardship. They were on the road. They, they were Wherever Jesus went, that's where they went. They did not live a life of their convenience. They lived a life at where Jesus wanted to leave them, where He led them, one place to another. And then they were mocked. They were made fun of. And when Jesus left them, after He had prepared them, they suffered greatly. They were beaten, they were flogged, they were imprisoned. And, and quite frankly, I think if that were to happen to the church, it would run out probably 80% of the people, maybe more, that are in American churches today. And, and, and so we have a responsibility as God's followers and men to, to be people that would reproduce spiritual warriors, just like those guys. And so, so that's the vision. How do we do that? Well, one, it's coming together through these SWAT groups. And when we have a SWAT group, the idea here is this is a form that you come and you're going to be gathered around the Word with battle buddies to encourage a mutual accountability that takes place. Not in this group necessarily. It can. It's not going to take place great in a group this size. It it might take place in conversations that take place out in the parking lot but also to funnel guys into the one-on-one Paul Timothy or Paul Barnabas relationships that we've been looking at. But that's one way that we increase the level of accountability. But also, the hope is is that we will help men walk in truth and grace because it's both. It's not just truth and it's not just grace. And the world tends to put you one way or the other, but it's a balance of truth and grace, and that's what we want to do. But there's five core values, and these core values are rooted in the centrality of the gospel for all of us. And, uh, and you know, we're all broken, right? We're all broken instruments. We're all people that are just trying to do what God wants to do, which is what? Fulfill the Great Commission. That's what, that's what we've seen our, our role is. And, and right now... As a whole, the church isn't doing a good job. And so we can be change makers in our little world, can influence other people, not only by those we directly impact, but those that see us and go, what are you doing? Why are you meeting with that guy? Why are you going to SWAT? What is SWAT? And you can talk about your purpose of being a disciple maker and an evangelizer. So what are the five core values? God's Word. It is our authority. It is the first one. Our authority It's our starting point. It's our greatest weapon. The second is prayer. Devotionally, intercessionally, it is the battle. Prayer is the battle for anything. 
Third is discipleship, intentional relationships with the centrality of the gospel, mutual accountability, encouraging a passion to be like Jesus. That's, that's, the, that's the issue. Encouraging a passion to be like Jesus. Fourth is evangelism. Prayerfully, intentionally, and naturally reaching out to people. Naturally. You know what naturally means? It means in the context of when you're living your life at your business, your job, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whether you're going to the YMCA, whether you're at the grocery store, as you are living your life out, people see something different about you. In every other culture in the world, people notice Christians in their culture. Every other one. It's only in our culture that we're almost incognito when we go out. And we blend in so well. And I don't mean wearing a Jesus I love you t-shirt. I'm talking about letting your life say Jesus I love you by the fact that when people see you, they see something different. And then fifth is community. Authentic, regular band of brothers. Those are the five core values. Now why is it important? Because I, I believe that our, our children, our grandchildren... Who knows, maybe our great-grandchildren. They're going to see things that we haven't seen as far as persecution goes here in this country. They're going to experience things. And, you know, remember a week ago in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, working through 42, and we got as far as 33. I want to go back to something I think I shared last week. It may have been the week before about persecution and John Monger. You remember when John Monger... I was asked, I asked him because somebody here wanted him to know, or had the question, why didn't he just lie and go out? Why did, why did he not deny Jesus? Because he said he might be the only witness that that jailer ever hears. I received this article this week because I get these, these magazines. It's about a lady in North Korea. Her name was Kyung Ja. She drifted in and out of consciousness. Her head was bloodied by repeated blows from a club. She heard her guard shouting words that she had never heard in 56 years of life. Bible. God. Jesus. You see, she understood why the female guard here had interrogated her about her latest trip to China and about her daughter's defection to South Korea. She understood that, but what she didn't grasp was why she, the guard kept asking odd questions about something called Christianity. She had never heard of that. She said, I first learned about Christianity from my torturer. The guard's confusing and persistent questions caused her to be curious. At the time of her arrest, she had no idea of who God was or no concept or belief system in God. But now... <laughs> She had to know what made it so dangerous. Why was this guard asking her all these questions? She spent six months in a harsh labor camp over in North Korea that uh, it's estimated that one-third of all the Christians in Korea are there right now in these labor camps. These camps are usually reserved for prisoners convicted of very serious crimes, such as attempting to flee the country, having unauthorized contact with South Koreans, or being a Christian. North Korean defectors say that Christianity is considered as dangerous as narcotics in North Korea. The government views Christianity as a sin 
and as the way that the West try to invade, it tries to invade its country. In this particular camp, inmates were often locked in cages like animals. They were forced to stand for hours and beaten until they vomited blood. Nearly 40% of all inmates that go in never come out. Most of the rest lose up to half their body weight and they survive on eating rats. And even their relatives are often detained and considered guilty just by association. Her daughter defected to South Korea and she eventually raised enough money to help her mother get down there and help their mother escape North Korea. When she got down there, she finally received answers to the questions about Christianity. She learned that the church is real and so is the God it worships. She soon placed her faith in Jesus. Today in South Korea, she never misses a worship service. She eagerly shares her testimony with other people so that they might too believe. This book called Jesus Freaks is nothing but stories of martyrs. And this one I was struck by. I shared it the other day on the radio. It says, Pastor Kim and his 27, uh, and 27 of his flock of Korean saints had lived in hand-dug tunnels beneath the earth. As the communists were building a road, they discovered Christians living underground. They brought them out before a crowd of 30,000 in the village of Gonsok for a public trial and execution. And they were told, deny Christ or you will die. But they refused. At this point, the head communist officer ordered four children from the group seized, had them prepared for hanging. With ropes tied around their small necks, the officer again commanded the parents to deny Christ. Not one of the believers would deny their faith. They told their children, we will see you soon in heaven. And the children died quickly. The officer then called for a steamroller to be brought in. He forced the Christians to lay on the ground in front of it, and as its engines revved, they were given one last chance to deny Jesus. Again, they refused. As the steamroller began to roll over them and their bodies began to be crushed, they all began singing, More love to Thee, O Christ, more love to Thee. Thee alone I seek, more love to Thee. Let sorrow do its work, more love to Thee. Then shall my latest or my latest breath whisper your praise. This be the parting cry of my heart shall raise. More love to you, O Jesus. That's in North Korea. That's not something that happened in a movie. It's not something that happened many, many, many years ago. That's something that goes on. We are really blinded to those things by the distraction of the world around us. But it happens every day. And we looked at this passage last week and where Jesus tells His disciples, these things will happen, but what? You are to have no fear. No fear. He demands loyalty. And we said that, that God demands our loyalty. Why? Because He owns us. When you are His, He owns you. And we looked at the four ways that our loyalty is demonstrated last week in this first section. And one of them was being a witness. He says, you're going to shout it from the housetops. Remember, we looked at that last week. So our witness of the gospel is one way we demonstrate loyalty to Jesus. The other way is by our fear of God overshadowing our fear of man. And we looked at what he said. He said, listen, don't fear the person that can kill the body more than you fear the person that can kill the soul. 
You should really fear the one who can cast your soul into hell. And we looked at that verse in Hebrews. It says what? It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And, and so we looked at that. That's another way that we show our loyalty by our fear of God overshadowing our fear of man. Third, we looked at by our security and His loving care for His children. And, and He says, listen, the, the sparrows, they fall to the ground. I know about it. I even know the number of hairs on your head, he says. He says, so don't fear. And sometimes what the enemy does is he comes in and he tells us, you know what? God doesn't love you. He wouldn't let you be in this situation if he loved you. And that's exactly what he whispers in our ears. And God says, don't fear. How do we show our loyalty to him? By our security. And we mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, even if our God doesn't deliver us, we're not going to bow down and worship your idol. And, and, and Peter, oh, it doesn't matter what you tell us. We have, to, we have to follow God. We can't keep silent to the authorities in Jerusalem. And so that was the third way. And then the fourth way we saw was by the Holy Spirit's testifying inside of us. It was the, the Holy Spirit ruling our life. And he says... Anyone who denies me before man, I'm going to deny before my Father. He's not telling us that our action is going to keep us out of heaven. What He's saying is, if the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, you're going to testify to who I am. That's why these believers in Korea could lay their bodies down in front of a steamroller and could be singing to the God of all creation knowing that their death was imminent as it rolled over their friends next to them. Now, we, we don't know what that's like. None of us have been in that kind of situation. But it's real. And, and, and I believe it's hard for us to even imagine what we would do in that situation because I also believe the Holy Spirit gives you the grace and strength you need in the situation when you encounter it. So you can't think what I would do. Because you don't have that. He doesn't appropriate it until you need it. And, and so... So for us, what does it mean for us to demonstrate loyalty here? Well, it's like when we know something is violating God's Word and it's going to destroy our witness, we choose not to do that. And when we're confronted about that, instead of getting angry and withdrawing and going away from reading the Bible and going away from being in fellowship with other believers, we allow God to speak into our lives through the people around us in our community to speak truth to us. And, and we repent that was the difference between Peter and Judas. Judas never repented. He was sorry, but he, he never repented. He went and hung himself instead of repenting. And, and Peter, what did he do? He wept bitterly and he repented. He was a turned man. He changed. That's what it means to repent, to turn from going this way to going this way. And God is the one that did it because the Holy Spirit lived inside of him. So as we look at this passage today, we're going to finish 34 through 42. Let me read it. And we're going to look at basically that God's wanting us that our, our loyalty is costly, but worth it. And then also, he, he tells us, He encourages us that our loyalty is rewarding. It's rewarding. There's actual, we're going to, it's rewarding not only to us, but to the people around us. And we'll see that. So starting in verse 34, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
A person's enemy will be enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of those little ones, one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water because he is my he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So in verse 34 he says, "Don't think that I came or I come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace. Basically, he says the same statement twice. And then verse uh, 35, he says, for I've come to set a man. So three I am come or I've come statements there is emphasizing his mission to us. And what is that? He's telling us here, he's warning us in this passage that our loyalty to him is costly. Did you, did you think about that when you started following Christ? Did anybody really make that clear to you when you started following Christ? Or did they do the youth night pizza thing? Come have some pizza and just be with some friends. And then you get hit with the, the gospel. You know, it's just, you know, you've got to do this because it's the cool thing, man. You've got to do this. And, 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 and I think what happens with a lot of people is they almost feel like it's a bait and switch. God has a great plan for your life, David. He's got a great plan and He loves you and He just wants you to know joy and happiness and come to Jesus and your life's going to be great. Didn't work out that way for the disciples, did it? In fact, it didn't work out that way for most of the people throughout history that were truly committed to following Jesus. Why? Because He says in 1 John 2, you can't love God and love the world with the same kind of love. As a, the, the priority love, the agape love. And what he's saying here is, in this first section, he says, listen, our loyalty to Him is going to cost us because it should be more valuable than our freedom to us. Is your love for Christ more valuable than the freedom you have from conflict? That's what he's saying. I came not to bring peace. Wait a minute, he's a prince of peace. What about in Isaiah? He's a prince of peace. He's going to bring peace to the earth, right? That's what it says. You know, behold, we bring you glad tidings of peace. What? Peace, peace, peace. He's not talking about peace with the world. What he's talking about is peace to the people, to his people within the context of eternity and peace with God the Father who is at enmity or who is against man because of our sin nature. That's the peace he's talking about. Now, will there be peace on earth? One day. One day. The day of the Lord is a dreadful thing, though. It ain't going to be fun for a lot of people because many are called, few are chosen. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Very few are going to be that way. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord, depart because I never knew you. But Lord, we did this and we did this and we did this. I never knew you. 
It's not going to be peaceful for those people. They were doing all the religious things. And there's a lot of people that sit in church every Sunday across our country who read their Bible. They give checks to missions. They go and they do things. But they don't know who Jesus is and He doesn't know them. They know about Him, but they don't know Him. He says that our love for Him has to be more valuable than our freedom. Luke 9, remember what He says? Anyone who wants to be my disciple, anyone who wants to follow me must what? First of all, deny what? Deny himself. Is that ambiguous? Is there any gray there what that means? Does anybody need help explaining that? Deny yourself means to put what? Other first, God first, everybody. Deny yourself means you do without because of something greater. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. Every person that he spoke that to understood what that meant. When a man carried his cross, he was condemned. When a man carried his cross, his life was dead to himself. When a man carried his cross, he was showing everybody else that he was condemned and he, he did not own his life. He, his life was gone. When people see us, is that what they think? As it relates to God? Or do they see people that live for themselves? Oh, they talk about Jesus, but they really live for Him. Our loyalty has to be something that produces in us. And it's God that does it, guys. It's God. But you know what What really helped me understand this? The more time I spend in this, the bigger picture I see of God's sovereignty and His love and His plan, and I get to see what He's done, it makes me more attached to His mission. I mean, listen, when, you, when, when we got in the Marine Corps, Kent, they, the mission drove everything, right? Yep. And that's why, guys, that's why a guy will see a grenade and he'll see his teammates over there. He will jump on that grenade, giving his own life, not just for that guy, but for the mission. It, it's not just, it is it's part of the, the, the guys, but it's, it's for the mission. We're trained to do that. The mission drives everything. It's not the way it is for us in the church here in America. Should be. Should be. And I, I praise God for guys like Dawa and John Monger that have helped me understand that the mission drives everything. John Monger sat over in uh, India and could have been flown as a refugee over here two years. Everybody kept telling him. All of his family relocated. All of them in Jacksonville. Will you go? Will you go? His family's writing, please come, please come. You know why he didn't go? Because God didn't give him the freedom to go. And, and let me tell you, he lived in a terrible condition over there. It wasn't, it wasn't anything any of us would want. He denied coming to the land of the free. Why? Because he understood this, that... that more valuable than freedom or what temptations America might offer for him or what luxuries or, or pleasures or provisions, what was more important was what God wanted in his life. That's what he lived out. He didn't just talk about it. See, the Jews thought the Messiah was going to be peace, a peace bringer to all the earth. That's what their vision was. And so when Jesus came... 
and he didn't overthrow the Romans and establish them as the rulers, they, they, that, that's not what their version of the Messiah was like. And we do the same thing today. Our version of Jesus is different from God's version of Jesus being here in our life. And we've got to allow what He says in His Word to direct our thoughts. He says, I came to bring a sword. You know what that means? Conflict. How many of you guys hate conflict? <laughs> Me? Yeah. I don't like it. And yet I told my wife yesterday, I feel like God's constantly bringing these issues that I have to deal with that are conflict issues that I have to go and, and do. And, and it's not fun. But we have a choice every time. We can take a stand for truth. We can take a, chance, a stand for what's right. Or we can shrink back and say, you know what? It's not worth my time. Not worth what it's going to cost me. Not worth my job. Not worth my family. Which is the next thing he says. Not only is it more valuable than our freedom, it's more valuable than family. That, that, that's almost sacred ground for a lot of people. You know what's, what Jesus does here? He actually is quoting from Micah chapter 7. If, if, if you go to Micah 7, I'm going to read it. Micah 7 verse 6. This is what he says. And this is talking about uh, looking to God for salvation in Micah 7. Um, and waiting for the God of salvation is what it's talking about. In 7.6, he says, For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what Jesus just quoted? That's the exact quote from Micah. And you know what the rabbis would do? The rabbis would quote a verse. They would quote a verse. But they wouldn't quote the whole passage. Because the listeners, the students, would go back to that passage in their mind because they knew the Bible. They knew the Scriptures from the Old Testament. They knew the passage. And this is what it says after that. But as for me... I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. What he's saying is, listen, if you value your family here on earth more than me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. He says that not just here in other places too. This is not just an isolated thing. It is in other places. In fact, Jesus Himself modeled this when His family came and they, they thought He was crazy they go, they go to get him out of there and the people are saying, hey, your family's out here. They're trying to get you out before somebody kills you for what you're doing. He said, these are my brothers and sisters out here. These who do the will of God. And he elevates spiritual family over earthly family. Do we have a problem with, with our earthly family sometimes being more important than the spiritual family and what God would have us do? Remember in John chapter 7, Jesus' brothers, hey, if you're, if you're really Him, why don't you go? Why don't you go and show people who you are? He didn't follow their whims. He did what God wanted Him to do when God wanted Him to do it in God's timing. So many times in our life with our family, it's very difficult because you're seen as judgmental. All you guys know what I'm talking about. You guys who, who just chuckled, you know. You're seen as judgmental. You're seen as a Jesus freak. And you will be ostracized by your family if you are serious about following Jesus. But the question is, 
you know, are you going to worry more about that? When I think about those parents who saw the noose around their, ki- their kids' necks, and I put myself in that position, it was terrifying to me. And it should be. for I would wish that on nobody. Nobody wants anybody to have to go through that. But the question is, at that moment, would you deny Jesus? Because you know what happens? Even if they would have denied Jesus, they still would have killed the kids. And you go out looking weak. And you show that Jesus, the God you serve, is a weak God. He's not strong. He doesn't even demand your loyalty. Because there are points that you will break and you'll go, no, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to do that. Do you think the enemy doesn't know that? I think of one guy, one pastor in Korea was told, if you kill your congregants, we'll let you live. This is the pastor over there. And he shot them. He killed them for the communists. And then they shot him. The enemy, is, the enemy is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. He has been from the beginning. He's always going to be. The question for us is, is our love for Jesus, does it overshadow our love for family? <clears throat> it should be more valuable. Matthew 12, um, and we're going to get to this probably, hopefully by the end of the spring. <laughs> uh, Matthew 12, 46. While he was still speaking in, in to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. This is what I was sharing. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Guys, I'm telling you, if you follow Jesus, your family may disown you. And they may not say that to your face, but in their actions, they may disown you. It's don't let that cause you to shrink back. Be a warrior. And he finally says, in, uh, in the next verse, he goes, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He, he says that it's even more valuable than our life. Our freedom, our family, and even our life are earthly rewards that we might seek. He says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake. What he's saying is that, that our loyalty for him has to be more valuable than even our own life. And there's countless examples in Scripture. James in Acts, Acts chapter 12, the first apostle to be martyred. James was had his head chopped off. <coughs> Paul you know, I love what Paul says over in Acts 20. Acts 20, Paul is kind of giving his farewell address to the elders there. And um, Acts 20, verse 22. Listen to what Paul's perspective is. This is a guy who's been beaten already. It's a guy who's been lashed. I mean, I'm not just talking about a spanking like we used to get. I'm talking about beaten within a one stroke of his life. Not once, not twice, three times, five times. Actually, three times he was beaten with rods, <coughs> spent a day and night in the ocean. He was often naked and without food. And he says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. What's he constrained by? In other words, he's being led by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. 
not knowing what will happen to me there. I can't go, Doug, to India. I, you know, I've got too much to lose here. Too much going on in my life here. You know, I got little kids. I, 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 you know, I got a family to provide for. I can't go. I can't go. He says, constrained by the Spirit. He says, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. Okay, so what if I said, okay, David, Randy, David Morton, I want you guys to go to India with me. And oh, by the way, we're going to be arrested. And oh, by the way, we're probably going to get beaten. Who's going to sign up for that? See, this is the thing. If we're not willing to take stands here where we have immense freedom and, and lack of persecution, there's no way we're going to jump on an airplane and go to a place that we know it awaits us. And I'm telling you, what he's saying here in this passage in Matthew is that his loyalty demands that even our life be counted as of no value. Because he's in control. He's in control. Paul knew that God was in such intimate control that when God said, Paul, I want you to go deal with this, Paul said, okay, I'll do it. I've only known one person in my whole life that had that mentality. Well, maybe two, Darwin and John personally. I've known them. I've seen that in them. John Munger went back to the very country that put him in prison to go evangelize people. How many of you would do that? You can't do it apart from the Spirit strengthening you. And here's the thing. Paul didn't do that till he was... This didn't happen to Paul right out of the gate. Remember what happened right out of the gate? They put him in a basket and put him out and said, go, get away. Why? Because God had to do a work in Paul. He had to grow him. The same thing He's doing in us. Guys, the reason you are coming to these studies, the reason you are a part of something like this, is God is doing something inside your heart saying, I'm preparing you, so you better put your boots on because it's going to get deep. And He's preparing you. More valuable. More valuable. Listen to what Colossians says real quick. Colossians 3. If you've been raised with Christ, verse 1, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with Him in glory. Is there any greater statement than in the whole Bible for you personally than that right there? That when He appears in glory, you're going to be with Him. Is there anything more in life that you really desire than that? Because I'm going to tell you right now, that, that is it right there. To appear with Him in glory. That's what I long for. That's what Lori longs for. It's what we talk about all the time. That is where we hope to be with Him. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Is that what is happening in our life? God warns us that our loyalty to Him is costly, but it's worth it. It's more valuable than our freedom. It's more valuable than our family. It's more valuable than even our life. Remember in Matthew 6, where he says, listen, don't, don't build up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. He's talking about 
giving there, but think of it in terms of your life. Where are your priorities? My hope here, and here's the one thing I hope you take away when you walk out of the door today, that there is no being in the universe, no, no uh, cause in the universe in my life, nothing more worthy of my loyalty than Jesus Christ. Nothing. And He demands that loyalty. And it has to overshadow my freedom, my family, and even my very life. That, that, that's really what He's saying here. And we're going to have to come back for the next three verses next week. <laughs>